Hey, it's Ian Altman. This week, I'm joined by fellow speaker Jeffrey Shaw. He's the author of the latest book, Lingo, Discover Your Ideal Customer's Secret Language and Make Your Business Irresistible. He went from, in his business, being overlooked to overbooked in less than a year by following some very specific principles that he shares with us in the discussion. We're going to talk about the biggest mistake when it comes to communication and marketing, and then we'll talk about the five-step process for how you can stand out for your customer so they totally feel like you get them. You're going to learn a ton from Jeffrey Shaw. Jeffrey Shaw, welcome to the show. Hey, Ian. Thanks for having me on. I'm thrilled to be here with you. You know what? I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Before we dive into your main subject matter expertise, can you share something surprising about you that the audience may not know? I love that you start with this because it's like, you know, it's putting it right out there first before I've earned their respect and credibility. So I will admit my, that. Just keep, keep, keep in mind, my audience rarely has a lot of respect for me or any of the guests. So Good don't take it personally. Good to know. Well, uh, what most people, very few people actually know is I have a really dirty car. Now, that may not sound like a big deal, except I am an insanely organized and neat person in every other area of life, but my car, by my standards anyway. It's dirty on the inside and outside. But, but here's the thing, Ian. The reason that this – and actually I think we'll tie into our conversation today – is I don't respect cars. And I actually fault the car manufacturers and brands for that. Like no car manufacturer or brand has created an emotional connection for me that I have learned to care about my car. I drive a Mini Cooper because I'm just not someone that will spend a lot of money on a car because I don't have respect for auto brands. But at least Mini Cooper has a personality. You know, it has quirks to it. And sure. know, as a vehicle, I think it has a somewhat of a personality. It does. Uh, I love when you, when you put it into sport mode, it said, let's motor hard. It, like it, at least it's something. But I have to say, inevitably, I think, you know, as a brand, cars just, just have not – automobile manufacturers have not done a great job at creating, for me, an emotional connection such that I, I care enough to keep it clean. So, and, so, yeah. just, so just, you know, breaking through the noise here, the car is dirty and it's their fault. Is I'm gonna go with that because <laughs> it's so out of character the rest of my life. Like I am so insanely organized and neat and clean, and I just have no respect for cars. And I, I just I kind of want to be won over. Like I want to be I want to be won over and fall in love with some car brand. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I drive a car that I really like, but I don't know that financially it is worth the justification just to have it be cleaner. But I am obsessed with keeping it clean, so. There you yeah, have it's, it. It's out of character for me. I will tell you that. <laughs> well, what's so I, I want to tap into your expertise when it comes to communication and marketing. And from your vantage point, what's the biggest mistake that businesses make when it comes to communication and marketing? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, without a doubt, hands down, the biggest mistake, and I see it every day. I review hundreds of websites a week. Uh, I prepare for talks and look at the, the websites, the companies that I'm going to speak in front of. And inevitably, the biggest problem is brands are still talking about themselves. I mean, it is it's a remarkable thing. You know, I refer to it as like silver platter marketing, right? They, they, like the, you go to the website, it's as if they, they have all their wares on a silver platter and they're handing it out and saying, would you like something? You know, oh, yeah, and by the way, here's, here's a contact form. I equate it to cocktail conversation. Yep. Like you would, you know, you go to a cocktail party. 
what's the best way to start a conversation? You would never start the conversation off, hopefully, by saying, let me tell you everything you need to know about me, everything that I do, and what makes me great, and here's a form you can fill out if you're interested. And yet that's what every website feels like. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just picturing you and I meet an event. I go up to you and say, hey, Jeffrey, it's a pleasure to meet you. I know what you're wondering right now. So why don't you sit back? Let me spend 10 or 15 minutes telling you everything about, you know, me. Yeah. Yeah. And then here's a form. Yeah. <laughs> How quickly they throw that contact form in your face. Like, <laughs> if interested, here. And that literally is the way every website feels, as opposed to what a website is meant to do, which is to create a conversation. You know, and here I had someone challenge me recently as well, you know, how how is a website starting a conversation? Well, obviously it's starting a conversation if you can create engagement and they do reach out to you. But I think the mo- most important conversation you're creating is the conversation in the visitor's mind. What can you say on your website that gets them thinking, having a conversation in their own head that compels them enough that they do want to know more? And that's how you create engagement and build a relationship, which should be the goal of our branding. Yeah, and and it's something that sounds so easy. I often say that people suffer from what I like to call axis displacement disorder. Mm -hmm. It's where the person doing the selling believes the axis of the earth has shifted, and now the world, you know, the axis goes – basically through their core and now the world revolves around them. Yeah. And it's yep. just, you know, we, we know it doesn't work that way. And in lingo, I, I love the, the subtitle of discover your ideal customer secret language and make your business irresistible. So talk to me a little bit about this notion of your customer secret language. Mm-hmm. Sure. So the the book is prefaced on a story that I tell, uh, which is also my signature story on on stage, which is around when I was shifting my photography business. This is going back 30 years ago um, when I had a failing photography business. I was set out into the world to be a high-end family portrait photographer in my hometown, which was a small country town a couple hours north of New York City, and it was failing. And uh, I had an awareness through a conversation with a client who is not going to hire me, you know, we can learn from what people, when they don't hire us. And what I realized for the first time is I was, as a family portrait photographer, I was a luxury item. And I was living in a community that couldn't afford luxury. This was a lower middle-class community. Luxury was not on the radar. So I realized, well, you know, I could either change who I am or I can change where my business is. And I think it's easier to change our business than it is to change ourselves. And I sought out an affluent clientele that I could serve because I felt my values were more aligned. You know, as a photographer, I'm creating portraits that are going to be handed down from generations to generations and people that were willing to invest in preserving children's memories. That takes discretionary income. So that, sure. that's what helped me define who I needed to serve. Um, I didn't want to change my values. I didn't want to start creating high volume, cheap photography. I wanted to find the people that had values similar to mine. And those were people with discretionary income. The problem was, I didn't know their lingo. I didn't know – I didn't even know of a secret language, right? Because we only know what we know. At 23 years old, I head into Bergdorf Goodman in New York City, which I think you're familiar with. But sure. for anyone that isn't, Bergdorf Goodman is a one-of-a-kind exclusive department store, midtown Manhattan. And I went there specifically so that I could have an experience of understanding if I were a an affluent shopper – what do I need to see, hear, and feel? What's the emotional connection to this brand? I didn't really study the brand as much as I wanted to understand what were the hooks, what were the things that sold me into this brand. So I went there, and uh, 
it's a it's a pretty lengthy story and on stage I act this out but I, I the only thing I had 20 bucks the only thing I could afford the only thing I could find in that entire eight story building was a tiny votive candle <laughs> for 20 bucks uh, and I asked for it to be gift wrapped because I suspected as we know that presentation is a big part of you know affluent shopping so I had the, the woman behind the gift wrap department. She actually invited me behind the wall into the back room because I asked her, would you mind showing me how to wrap this so that it looks expensive? So she took me to the back room and she's packaging this candle in wads of tissue paper, like just a whole <laughs> bunch of tissue paper. She goes to put it into Burdorf's signature silver metallic box and she stopped with the most dramatic pause and she looked up at me and she said, don't use any tape. <laughs> and that struck me really odd. I didn't understand. So I had to ask her, why can't I use any tape? And here's what she said, Ian, which was so amazing. She said, well, because this customer is very particular. They're going to take this – before they give this as a gift, they're going to untie the bow. They're going to take off the box top. They're going to fold back the tissue paper, make sure the candle's in perfect shape, put the tissue paper back, back top, box top back on, and retie the ribbon. I realized if there was tape, you wouldn't be able to do that without tearing the tissue. <laughs> And that's why I came up with this idea of secret language. I'm like, holy crap, no tape is the secret language between a high-end brand and knowing their customers so well that they knew the behavior of the customer, not just in the store, but at home. And then my, I felt like my whole world unpacked because I realized just every market has a secret language, whether you're Walmart or Bergdorf Goodman or anything in between. Biz, good brands are communicating with their ideal customers by kind of like vibrating on this, this secret language to, that their customer completely gets. And that to me is that's, that's the basis of lingo uh, is to speak the lingo, the secret language. That's, that's the powerful thing about lingo is that in the end, to really speak someone's lingo is to actually tap into their most meaningful unspoken emotions. Like what makes somebody feel like you completely get them? And that's what I think our brands need to do. We need to build a brand message that makes our ideal customers, those that are the most profitable, feel like we completely get them. Yeah, it's – you know what? I, I, I love that story and example. When, when, I, when I speak on stage, one of the most frequent comments I get is people afterwards will ask, oh, well – how long, how long have you been in, and you pick the field, how long have you been in trash removal? How long have you been in data analytics? How long have you, how long have you sold medical equipment? How long have you sold yeah. you know, health insurance, life insurance, whatever it happens to be, financial services? And I always look at it as, look, my job is to make it so that I understand their terminology enough. Because the way I look at it is, if I'm speaking even just slightly different terminology, then the audience member has to translate what I've said to them. And I imagine, Excellent. and I'm curious to get your take on it, I imagine it's the same way with the customer. Yeah, it's 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 terminology, but I think it is, you know, because that's, that's the thing with lingo, which I was sort of careful to try to explain, because obviously there's a jargon to, to lingo. Yep. But I think the, the broader picture of lingo, if you look at – lingo historically is has always been used to to bind a community of people together, right? Cultures have a lingo. Countries have a lingo. Demographics have a link. Teenagers have a lingo. And really what it is, it's, it is it is a jargon. But it's really it's, – it's meant to hold a community together. And this is what I, what I stress is why wouldn't a business 
any business, want to understand the lingo of the community they want to serve. Yes, you need to know their jargon, but you also need to know their behavior, their lifestyle. And what I think is probably most important is their values, their priorities, and you know the thing, their emotions. So I'll give you another really subtle example. Um, when you know, when I set out as a photographer for this very affluent clientele, uh, this was you know, back in the '80s, um, way pre-digital photography, and something my clients continually asked for was for me to create for them really high-end, beautiful photo holiday photo cards that they could, back in the day, you would mount a four by six photo on, yeah. you know, and that would be on the outside. Now it's all digital, but um, and believe it or not. Back in the 80s, that didn't really exist. Even your major players in the the greeting card stationery business, uh, cranes, et cetera, it didn't really exist. So I decided I could create my own. So I hired an artist. I came up with the ideas, and she executed the artwork. What was interesting is that how do I – I then needed to figure out how do, what do I put in these designs? How do I border these cards to not only accent my photographs but to be in the lifestyle of – of the customer who is mailing hundreds, if not thousands of these out to their fellow business peers and friends. So it needed to, it needed to communicate what their life was about. And what I found is that I was looking for these holiday elements. Now I grew up in a family where, you know, we, we had a Christmas tree and pine boughs on a fireplace mantle, right? Affluent families don't use pine. <laughs> it's so crazy. Like this is like a, like an internal <laughs> lingo. They use boxwood, which I didn't even know was a plant. I didn't even know what it was, Ian. Like I had to, but I, I started like when I looked around the the houses that I was photographing in, they didn't have pine on their mantles. They have boxwood, which is a very small leaf plant. Yep. Right. And so where we had ropings of pine, they had ropings of boxwood. Now you can if I design cards for this clientele with pine on it, that's out of their lingo. Yep. Right? They use boxwoods. It's a more elegant plant. So it's these, I, I think when you're really speaking someone's lingo, it is the subtleties. But you're doing it in everything you do, whether it's even how you price your products and services. Sure. Um, right, which I think is one of the biggest mismatches when people their pricing psychology doesn't match the lingo of those they want to serve. Their pricing you know, uh, we see nowadays all the time businesses and services market. They're they're pricing their services at four ninety seven, nine ninety seven, nineteen ninety seven. Yep. Right, and then they complain that they have customers that are always trying to nickel and dime them. And I look at it and say, well, you're <laughs> the one drawing attention to the fact that three dollars matters. If yeah. you don't want the nickel and dime customer, then just round it up. Yep. Make it a thousand dollars. Make it five thousand. Right. It's 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 funny. I remember as as a speaker. Early on, speaker bureaus would say to me, "Well, but you know, gee, instead of, instead of being a round number, you know, how about you go, you know, just like five hundred dollars below that? No, no, yeah. we're just that's that's right. the number. Anybody who's gonna is gonna care about five hundred dollars one way or the other is probably not my client anyhow. So exactly, or it's you know, a lot of us as speakers have just gone to a flat fee that includes the travel because yeah. if you get in the conversation about I want to, I'll collect the receipts so you can reimburse me. If you're going to get into a nickel and diming conversation, then you're going to have nickel and diming conversations. Yep, and that's the mismatch of lingo. So it, to me, that the, the idea of speaking 
the lingo of the audience or the customer you want to reach, it permeates through all aspects, sales, marketing, pricing. It's the whole business is, you know, are you speaking their lingo? Because as soon as you break language, uh, man, people fall off. And, and I love off. I love that distinction between jargon and lingo because I was even getting confused by it and thinking to myself, okay, so here's the jargon, here's their terminology. No, no, the lingo is, in many respects, it's the feel of it also. Exactly. It's, it's knowing their business well enough that you know for example, how they make decisions. So I can imagine people in a sales role walking in an organization looking for someone to sign off on something who they say, no, no, we're a Fortune 500 company. You don't understand the next three steps we have to follow? Right. Like You don't understand what our world is like when you leave this office? Yeah. And I think often jargon can lead to lingo, if you will. Um, so I'll give you another example where uh, years ago, I decided I would market my photography through five-star hotels in Manhattan. So, Brilliant. and I felt the way to do that was through the concierge, right? Because you have people coming from all over the world, visiting New York City, who could either inquire, hey, you know, we're here, we're in New York City, gee, we should have a family portrait done, or the hotel could perhaps suggest it. If somebody's booking a block of rooms for sure. a family reunion, why not suggest, hey, while you're here, have you thought about having a portrait done? And I wanted to be the go-to person for that. But what I what I realized, and because I always ask myself, when anytime I'm stepping into a world I don't know, the first thing that crosses my mind is what lingo do I need to understand? And so I was entering this new world, if you will, of concierges. So the the first thing I did was go to a hotel that was not a five star because they they weren't going to be one that I ended up wanting to have a relationship with. So I went to a lesser hotel and asked the question. If I were to ask for the the concierge in charge of all the concierges, who do I ask for? Now, Ian, do you have any idea who the person, the title of the person in charge of all concierges is? Concierge. Yeah, you knew that. Very, I didn't know it. Very few people know Sorry. that. A lot of people <laughs> say head concierge, and that, which is probably what I would have thought. But yeah, it's called a chef concierge. Yep. Now, so that gave me the lingo so that I then, when I went to the five-star hotels, I could ask for the chef concierge, concierge yep. which endeared me to the person I'm asking. So now, now we're speaking lingo. Right now they know I'm in. I knew who to ask for. I explained what I did. I explained how to them how I would take care of them and take care of the customers. So now, now we're in the same world. Now we're sharing a lingo. Uh, it was obvious to them that I was a good fit for their affluent uh customers because I, I did the work and I, so it's sort of like you can understand the jargon in order to get into their lingo. Yeah. And, and it, it's, my guess is it's not too dissimilar to a sommelier where right. the sommelier understands what people are looking for. Like, for example, a good sommelier, if I come in and I'm looking through their wine list, will say, well, let's, let's say, like, for example, I know wines in certain regions, but not in others. So if I go into, let's say, an Italian restaurant, I don't really understand Italian wines. I don't understand Spanish wines that well. There's a lot of wines I understand around the world, but not so much. And so a, a good sommelier will say to me, so – what other wines do you like? What what wines of the what wines do you regularly drink? And the good sommelier, once I describe a few, they're like, okay, you're gonna love this then, right? And it's like because it's a similar style. And I'll get them like, ooh, that's different but similar. And you're like, wow, this person's a Jedi master, and they just asked a few questions to understand where I exist or I guess my wine lingo, if you will. Yeah, I, I think it really is as you. It's, so wisely pointed out. Actually, that's the difference between a jargon and a lingo. Lingo really is to understand what makes someone feel a certain way. Um, what I say often in my talks is that 
yeah, the new standard for no like and trust, because that's that's been the standard up to this point. We've we've been talking about that. We need to get people to know, like, and trust us in order to hire us. And I said, well, the new standard for no like and trust is wow, it's like you're in my head. Right? It's to understand of your ideal customer. And this is what what brands, I think this is this is I love the fact for your show you refer to a kind of like modernizing selling. Yep. And this to me is how selling needs to be modernized. We need to get out of the buyer personas and avatars and demographics and statistics that have gotten to the, us to this point. But I think the simple requirements of customers are going to demand that we know more about them than you know, their, their, their pseudo persona or track them down with pixels and cookies, right? They, the consumers want more than that. They want to feel like you get them like, wow, it's like you're in my head. So I see that as the, the new standard for no like, and trust is for brands to take on the responsibility of what do I need to know about my ideal customer? What do I need to say? How do I need to communicate that through my brand messaging and image to make our customers feel like, you know, you don't just know my demographic, but wow, it's like you're in my head. Like you get my values, my priorities. I think that is the new standard for marketing today. I, I think consumers today and, and certainly to come will really not accept anything less than that. Yeah, you know what? It's it's fascinating. There there was there's a couple interesting things I think about. There's a there's a wealth management firm in the DC area. We happen to be clients of each other and become really good friends over the years, a company called Glassman Wealth Services. And I remember interviewing their CEO, Barry Glassman, at one point, and I asked him, well, so who do you see as your biggest competitor? And he said, well, from the perspective of our clients, we're most often measured against Ritz-Carlton and Four Seasons. And he stepped back and said, what? Hmm. He said, well – they look for a similar experience with us as they would get at a Ritz-Carlton or Four Seasons. And they want a customer service experience of a company like Zappos or Nordstrom. So it's kind of funny. One of their one of their and they, they're consistently ranked, you know, best one of the places that that other wealth advisors would trust with their money and attorneys and you know all sorts of people. Here's who they would trust with their money. They're often rated as the best place to work and you know in the in the DC region, which is a pretty big honor. When they onboard somebody, I remember years ago him telling the story and he said, Yeah, so um I, I, I said, so we want to deliver an experience like that. And he said, I looked around the conference room and my staff was kind of looking at me bewildered. And I said, Well, so how many of you have bought something for, you know, at least a couple hundred dollars at Nordstrom? And only one or two had. He goes, mm-hmm. okay. How many of you have bought something with, uh, on Zappos? Only one or two had. How many of you stayed at Ritz Carlton Four Seasons? A couple had. And over the next two months, he gave people gift cards to go buy something at Nordstrom, to go buy to buy something from Zappos, and for a stay on the concierge level at one of those properties. Yeah. He said, yeah. now you understand this is the world that our customer, that our clients live in. And if you understand that, then and, – and it's funny because he wouldn't have recognized it as lingo, nor would I, but it sounds like that's kind of what you're getting at. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And this is the, – the cool thing is – and by the way, I've, I was – I used to get – I get asked often actually when the people hear the story of how I rebranded uh, my photography business and to start over for the affluent market. People are like, well, if you had a failing photography business, why did you go to Bergdorf's and not – 
other photographers. Why didn't you figure out what other photographers are doing? And that was exactly my point. It's like, first of all, I, I wanted to far exceed any level any photographer had ever achieved. And I wanted to step into the world where my customers were. Right. So to me, it made perfect sense, kind of cross industry innovation. So I love the fact, as you're saying, we're not compared to our own industry anymore. People compare how easy it is. I mean, I think one of our biggest challenges in business today is delivery time because Amazon has set a new standard. Yeah. Right. So any bit, I don't care what business you're in, we're all addressing the Amazon dilemma where we have to figure out how we can deliver quality as quickly as possible because that's what everybody's comparing us to. Yep. Right. So, I mean, I know I have. I have found out about products that I wanted to buy that if I went to the company's website, it would take seven days to receive, but I could go to Amazon and get it in two. Yeah. And that's bizarre. Yeah. Right. So you just switch. Right. So that, you know, so that's, that becomes, so we're rarely evaluated against our own, even in our own industry. And that definitely introduces a, a new challenge, but exactly what you're saying. I mean, to really speak the lingo of your customers is to understand the, the depth of feelings that their world yeah. That they're already encountering. You know what? I I love it. There's a um, there's a there's a a car sales guy who I used to deal with for a long time. We 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 had bought a bunch of Acuras, and this guy did. It, it was it was one of the top. I think it was number one or number two in the country for Acura sales. And every single one of his appointments was by appointment. He wasn't a guy sitting on the showroom floor waiting for someone to come in. Mm-hmm. If he was walking through, someone would say, can you help me? Oh, yeah, let me get someone for you. Like yeah. people walking up the street is nothing. But here's the funny part. We must have bought six cars from him over the years. I never once went to the dealership to pick up my car. Beautiful. Yeah. He would He would drive out, deliver the car, spend time with us. And then take our trade back with him to the dealership. And it's funny because he would come to the house and and I remember every single time he'd say, okay, great. Um, hey, you know what? Let me just check. Let me make sure you got all of your um, DVDs and CDs out of the, out of the changer. And let me like all these little things that you would have forgotten. He took care of. And guess what? Over the years, I, I referred probably – over a million dollars worth of business to this person. Sure. Just, oh, yeah, you got to go see Steve. And and it's funny because now he has a business that's all about customer experience. He's, he doesn't sell cars anymore. He helps people in customer experience. So let me ask you this. For, for the benefit of our audience, what are the one or two things that people should do to get more aligned with their customer's lingo so they're, they're more relevant to their customer? Sure. Well, first and foremost, and in Lingo, I have a five-step process, and we'll just kind of uh, kind of concentrate on the first couple. Uh, the first is you have to understand the perspective of, of your ideal customer. And I think so many businesses do this wrong. I spoke recently at uh, a conference of small hotel owners. So they were uh, – it was a small hotel and lodging, which requires 75 rooms or fewer – uh, you would be a part of this association. And I spoke at their conference and I challenged the attendees of that conference to book a room and stay in a room in their own facility from the website to booking to spending the night, right? And yeah. I, I, I'll, Ian, you and I both know I doubt anybody in that conference did it, but I wanted to challenge them because, you know, and I even said it as an example, I said, because if you do it, you might ask yourself, why is the toilet paper behind the toilet? Yeah. <laughs> like who designed that? Have whoever, did that person ever sit on the toilet, right? 
so you have to understand the perspective of the people you're going to serve. The best thing, you know, there's a really common phrase in business, which is, it's a brilliant phrase for a lot of reasons. And that is to work on your business more than in it. Great for making sure we don't get caught up on mundane tasks. But I think a more important approach to business is to work outside of your business more than on it. The best thing you can do for any, the best thing any business can do is to know what your ideal customers need to see, hear, and feel in order to choose you. And this is what I feel as a branding consultant. This is actually what I think is my, my, my area of genius. And I think it, it's rooted in who I am as a photographer because I have had to morph into situations. I photograph entirely on location. Yep. So you know, I'm dropped anywhere in the world, meeting people for the first time. I have to morph into that family, pick up the dynamics of the family in order to capture a true and authentic portrait. It's a very similar to branding. So my role as a branding consultant is to take on the role of the ideal customer and feed the information back to that business with your ideal customer needs to see, hear, and feel in your brand message and image in order for me to be compelled to work with you. So you have to understand, and a lot of businesses just don't take the time to they make, make, make they might make some assumptions, which I think is the problem with buyer personas and avatars. It's just a projection of what you think. It's a lot of assumptions. As opposed to really doing the work and walking in the the the, the shoes of the people you're going to serve. So, so the first one is understand the perspective of the understand customer. Understand the perspective. Yep. Get, again, get that perspective as a business person from outside of your business. I love that notion of yep. with a hotel. Great. You know, have you tried to book? Have you tried to arrive, stay, check out of your own property? Right. And you, you know, I, I know in, in our world of speakers, you've seen the conversations about why is it that hotel drapes never meet in the middle? Like, exactly. why do we have to grow, grab a pant hanger out of the closet to clamp the, hotel, the drapery clothes? It's things like that. Like, get into your own, you know, look at your business from the outside at every little thing. And, and what the best you can do is to know what your ideal customers need to, to, need to see, hear, and feel. Yeah. It, it's kind of, fu- it's kind of funny. I have this perspective now. When I stay at a hotel, if if I if I check in, I get to the room and they do not have power outlets for chargers and this you know for exactly. all the stuff that we need. I'm thinking to myself, where are you people from? Like, right. am I supposed to crawl around on the floor to find an outlet? Like, why do you not have a thing right next to the nightstand? Why yeah. is there not? Why is why are there not four plugs available at the desk? Which sounds silly, but it's what we need. Exactly, or right next to the bed. Like, exactly. why is there an outlet where I need to charge my phone? Right. So, it's yeah, so absolutely. So the first one is understand the perspective of the customer. Yep. Second, which I think is the the most, and, and we're talking a lot about emotions here because emotions are what speak to people and really grab them. The second is familiarity, which I think is the strongest of all human emotions. Like we are so familiarity does two things: it stands out and it creates comfort. Right. We can't you can't unsee what is deeply familiar to you. You know, if you uh, Starbucks, McDonald's, you go to Europe, you can't unsee it. Yeah. Right. You're going to see their logos. So familiarity always stands. It's the whole premise behind how you've never heard of something. Something somebody tells you about something and now you see it everywhere. Right. Yep. That's the nature. That's the power of familiarity. So that's where, you know, creating familiarity for your brand, repetition, showing up various places in their world over and over again so that they psychologically, they can't unsee it. And then also familiarity is a deep, profound feeling. So one thing I've always done and for the brands that I work with is to figure out what other brands is your ideal customer interacting with and what does that experience feel like to them? 
right? Because again, I, I grew up very lower middle class, wound up serving the aff- most affluent people in the country. So I've seen both sides, if you will, and I've traveled that journey to know that you know, a high-end store feels entirely different. It's dimly lit. The, the merchandising is very specific. Sometimes there'll be, you know, one sample of each piece of merchandise out if it's clothing, but the other sizes are in back rooms. So it's very yep. sparse, very clean. It, and if that is the lingo of your ideal customer, then your website better damn well look like that and feel like that because otherwise they're going to feel like they've just entered a foreign country. You know what? I love it. I love it. Right? And 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 I would say that for the next three of the five, that's when people should pick up the book. There you go. <laughs> so, hey, Jeffrey, what's the, what's the best way for people to learn more about what you're doing and, um, and connect with you? Sure. Well, my primary website is jeffreyshaw.com. That's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, Shaw, S-H-A-W.com. And uh, on there, you know, you can peck around to see what I do. There's a there's a page for the book, Lingo. The link, the book, of course, is also available on Amazon, Audible, yeah. all those places. Um, but yeah, the remaining three steps are, are there. Um, but by all means, the best place to start is at jeffreyshaw.com. I love it. And we will include all that in the show notes. But uh Man, fascinating. I learned a lot. I'm sure our audience did, and I appreciate you for sharing your wisdom. Well, thank you for having me on, and I appreciate it very much. Jeffrey's got so much insight. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. First, don't make the mistake of talking about yourself. Instead, we want to talk about our customers and make sure they understand that we understand them. That's where we get into the lingo. And it's not just your customer's terminology, it's how they behave, how they like to be treated, and all the subtle nuances that go into that so the customer feels like you're speaking their language, not just in your words, but in your actions. And then I love how Jeffrey talks about this five-step process of first understanding the perspective of your customer and dispelling that rumor of that whole idea of work on and not in your business. Instead, work outside your business to have somebody else's perspective. And I would encourage you to pick up a copy of Jeffrey's book, Lingo. It's really a great read. Remember, this show gets a direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest I should have on the show or a topic you'd like me to cover, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.